Joshua chapter 16, the allotment of Ephraim. Chapter 16, verse 1, the lot fell to the children of Joseph from the Jordan by Jericho to the waters of Jericho. On the east to the wilderness that goes up from Jericho through the mountains to Bethel. Then went out from Bethel to Luz, passed along the border of the Ark Heights at Atarot, and went down westward to the boundary of the Japhletites, as far as the boundary of lower Beth Horon to Getzer, and it ended at the sea. So the children of Joseph, Manasseh, and Ephraim took their inheritance. The border of the children of Ephraim, according to their families, was thus. The border of their inheritance on the east side was Atarot, Adar, as far as the upper Beth Horon. And the border went out toward the sea on the north side of Mikmathath. Then the border went around eastward to Tanat, Shiloh, and passed by it on the east of Janua. Then it went down from Janua to Atarot. And Nara reached to Jericho and came out at the Jordan. The border went out from Tapua westward to the brook Cana and ended at the sea. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Ephraim, according to their families. The separate cities for the children of Ephraim were among the inheritance of the children of Manasseh. All the cities with their villages... And they did not drive out the Canaanites who dwell in Getzer. But the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites to this day and have become forced laborers. In the book of Joshua, remember, it's broken down into three broad sections. It begins with preparation to occupy the land in chapters 1 through 5. And then what we would call penetration or the conquest as the land is taken as we've looked at chapters 6 through 12. And now there is the allocation, the giving of the inheritance in chapters 13 through 22. And we saw in chapter 15 the allotment of Judah, which is the large tribe. And now we see the allotment of Manasseh and Ephraim. And it begins with the inheritance of faith and obedience in verses 1 through 4. And so in verse 1 it says, The lot fell to the children of Joseph from the Jordan by Jericho to the waters of Jericho on the east to the wilderness that goes up from Jericho through the mountain to Bethel. What you may not know, because you probably haven't seen the map yet, or if you have a map of the allotment, the tribe of Manasseh and the tribe of Ephraim are given the heart of the land. It begins at the Jordan and then makes its way to the plain of Sharon. This land is beautiful land. This land is hill country and woods. It's, it's actually beautiful. And so when it says it goes to the wilderness to the east from Jericho through the mountains to Bethel, you get a little idea. You can see, for those of you who can read the map, the little circle up there is the Galilee. Down at the bottom is the Dead Sea. 
The line is the River Jordan. You see the inheritance on the east side, the east Manasseh, Gad, Reuben, and then on the west side, west Manasseh and Ephraim. Now, these areas, Shiloh and Bethel, are going to be the heart of the land. You'll remember it was at Bethel that Jacob had his vision of God. It was the place where he met the God of Abraham and Isaac, where he had a vision of of a ladder that goes up to heaven and to the earth. And so this was the place where Jacob went to communicate with God. And so it says, and it went from Bethel to Luz, passed along the border, verse 2, to the border of the Archites at Atorah, and went westward to the boundary of the Japhletites, as far as the boundary of lower Beth Oran to Getzer. Getzer was one of the stronghold cities that were occupied by the Canaanites and then ended at the sea. It says, so the children of Joseph, Manasseh, and Ephraim took their inheritance. The story of Joseph's children takes place in Genesis chapter 48, verses 13 through 22. Some of you know the story in the book of Genesis. The oldest child of Jacob was a man named Reuben. He lost his inheritance through rebellion and disobedience. You'll remember Joseph, the youngest son of of Jacob, is sold into slavery. He experiences difficulties and setbacks, but God is going to use Joseph to redeem not only the people of Israel, but to save Egypt in a time of catastrophe. He's going to give birth to two children in captivity in Egypt, Manasseh and Ephraim. And you'll remember in the story, Jacob, when he's getting ready to bless the children, crosses his hands. And so that the place of privilege goes to the younger rather than the older. And the place of less privilege goes to the older. And so Warren Wearsby, he reverses the order. Warren Wearsby writes, quote, God rejects our first birth and gives us a second birth. God accepted Abel and rejected Cain. He rejected Ishmael and he accepted Isaac, Abraham's secondborn son. He rejects Esau He accepts Jacob. And so Wearsby and other Bible teachers have seen in this shunning of the older for the younger a type and a picture of what it means to be born again. That your first birth isn't the most significant birth. That the most significant birth is when you're born again by the Holy Spirit because that's how you enter into the true inheritance that belongs to you. Under normal circumstances, since Ephraim was the younger son, he would receive the lesser inheritance. Again, Jacob reverses the birth order, gives the greater inheritance to Ephraim, and again, this becomes a type and a picture of life. You'll remember Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 3, he said, truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say to you, 
except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, for most of us who aren't Jewish, our inheritance isn't the land. Our inheritance is Christ. And so, again, this inheritance that's going to be given to Ephraim and Manasseh is going to provide the heart of the land. And now we see the inheritance of faith and obedience that's been given to them, and then the power of unity. Look at verse 5. It says, The border of the children of Ephraim, according to their families, was thus. The border of their inheritance on the east side of Ataroth Adar was as far as upper Beth Haran, and the border went down to the sea on the north side of Mikmethath. Then the border went around eastward to Tanat, Shiloh, and it passed by on the east of Janoa. And then it went down from Janoa to Ataroth and Nara, reached to Jericho, and came out at the Jordan. The border went from Tapua westward to the brook Cana, and it ended at the sea. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Ephraim, according to their families. And in verse 9, it says, The separate cities for the children of Ephraim were among the inheritance of the children of Manasseh. All the cities with their villages. Now, you might be tempted to overlook that verse and not understand its significance. In it, we're given an important piece of information. The inheritance of Ephraim is going to also include some of the cities and the villages that are within the territory of Manasseh. Why is that important? Ephraim's name means fruitful. And they had outgrown Manasseh. In other words, the younger tribe had outgrown the older brother Manasseh and they needed more space to handle the growing ranks. This made the distribution of the land and the cities more fair and then it proved to have some real benefits. The two tribes were situated next to one another and the two tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh intermingled. They traded. There was this cultivation of camaraderie and unity, cooperation, mutual possession. The Bible says, see how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell in unity. And so obviously when you're living close to your family, it can do one of two things. It can generate a sense of unity and camaraderie or it can create a sense of division. In difficulty. Now, in this particular instance, it's going to create an opportunity for unity, for the family to get together, live together, and work together, and it's going to prove to be a powerful coalition. But in verse 10, it says, And they did not drive out the Canaanites who dwelt at Gezer. But the Canaanites dwelt among the Ephraimites to this day and have become forced laborers. They have this wonderful opportunity for unity, but now they also have a terrible problem. The people of the tribe of Ephraim failed to completely drive out the native Canaanites. This was an act of compromise. 
It was an act of concession. Rather than drive them out or destroy them, they became slaves. They became forced laborers. Now you'll remember that the Lord insisted that the Canaanites be destroyed and driven out of the land. Over and over, the Canaanites are pictured as cruel and corrupt and wicked people. And when they're allowed to remain in the region, the wickedness remains. The corruption remains. The influence remains to corrupt the people. And remember what I've repeatedly said to you. It becomes a type and a picture of you as a Christian. Remember, just like they have to occupy the land occupied by people who don't want to leave, God in Christ is occupying you. Your whole life becomes an opportunity to submit and yield to the lordship of Jesus Christ. But there are things in our mind and there's things in our thinking and there are, there are things in our heart that remain like a stronghold that are difficult to get rid of. Ephraim was disobeying the clear instructions given by God to Moses and then given by God to Joshua. We see that in Joshua chapter 17, verses 7 through 13, which we're going to see in a moment. Unity, camaraderie, mutual support has great value, but not at the expense of rebellion and disobedience. And this compromise is going to hurt them later on. This compromise is going to sow the seeds of the eventual downfall of the northern tribes, which is going to be mainly occupied by Manasseh and Ephraim. Some, some well, if we think about it, about 1200 BC to about 800 BC, in about 800 BC, the Assyrians are going to come from the north and basically dissolve the tribes. So again, it's going to prove a problem. The longer you live with compromise, the longer you live with conceding and allowing things in your life that don't belong. Now, now beginning in verse seven, or chapter 17, let's read the chapter. It says... Now they're going to give the allotment of Ephraim. They give the allotment of Manasseh, which becomes, again, a type and a picture of both faithful and borderline Christians. It says in chapter 17, there was also a lot for the tribe of Manasseh, for he was the firstborn of Joseph, namely for Machir, the firstborn of Manasseh, the father of Gilead, because he was a man of war, and therefore he was given Gilead, and Bashan, and there was a lot for the rest of the children of Manasseh, according to their families, for the children of Abiezar, the children of Helek, the children of Asriel, the children of Shechem, the children of Hether, and the children of Shemida. These were the male children of Manasseh, the sons of Joseph, according to their families. Manasseh is going to receive the territory east, but it's also going to receive a territory 
west of the Jordan River. The land east of the river was given to the descendants of Machir. And remember what we've already said. This is the part of the group that doesn't want to enter into the promised land. They're content to live on the east side of the Jordan. They're content to live surrounded by enemies. They're content to live in compromise. So the half-tribe also has a half-hearted commitment to the Lord. Again, this becomes a type and a picture who want to stay close enough to the Bible and close enough to Jesus and close enough to, to Christianity just in case it might all be true. But they're not willing to go all the way. In a sense, they choose to compromise with the world. They choose the fertile valleys and the fertile plains of the Jordan over the righteous demands and difficulties of occupying the land of promise. And so again, the characteristics of the borderline believers, we've already looked at at length, selfishness, covetousness, compromise. The tribe of Manasseh on the east side of the Jordan was determined to go their own way. Again, just like the compromised Christian who's determined to go their own way. And some people like what they see in this world. And so they're determined to have their way rather than God's way. But God warns us. He says, look, if you go down the road of rebellion and disobedience, be sure that your sin will find you out. Compromise and sin will always take its toll. It will always manifest itself. Remember what we've already learned. God isn't mocked. What a person sows, that also they reap. So it can't be hidden forever. The law of sowing and reaping eventually will manifest itself. In Luke's gospel, chapter 12, verse 2, we read, For there's nothing covered that shall not be revealed. There's nothing hid that shall not be known. And so in verse 2 it says, And there was a lot for the rest of the children of Manasseh, according to their families for the children of Abiezar, the children of Helech, the children of Azrael, the children of Shechem, the children of Hefer, the children of Shemida. These were, these were the male children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, according to their families. But not all of the tribe of Manasseh settled on the east side of the Jordan River. Some were given their portion in the promised land. And so again, this becomes a type and a picture of a people who want to be faithful. And this is going to provide an amazing picture of a group that want to be faithful to the Lord. They want to remain obedient to the Lord. They want to experience God's presence and God's favor in the promised land. What they wind up doing is again... Remembering the promises that are given and then reject the world and reject compromise. And so we have this amazing picture of the daughters of Zelophehad. Now Zelophehad might be a little bit hard to pronounce, but look what it says in verse 3. Zal but Zelophehad, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh had no sons, but only daughters. And these are the names of the daughters. Mahalah, Noah, 
Hogla Milka Tirza. Now we are introduced to this interesting family in Numbers chapter 27. We're going to go there just very briefly so that you can get a little bit of an understanding and a background. It says in verse 20, in chapter 27 of Numbers, Then came the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hether, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, from the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. Now these daughters then, think about it, they are direct descendants of the prophet Joseph, the hero of Israel. And they stood before Moses and before Eleazar the priest and before the leaders in the congregation by the doorway of the tabernacle of meeting. These are the daughters. They are in the wilderness. And they say, our father died in the wilderness, but he was not in the company of those who gathered together against the Lord, the company with Korah, but he died in his, for his own sin and he had no sons. Now think about what's being said. Their father was part of a previous generation that died in the wilderness. And even though he was part of a previous generation that died in the wilderness, he didn't side with the rebellion. He didn't side with the group of the people who were disobedient. He had no sons. And because in that culture and society, if you have no sons... Now think just for a moment. In the culture of Israel, they're slaves in Egypt. They don't own property. They're slaves. In the wilderness, they're nomads. Later on in the culture, property is going to pass from father to son. If you had no sons, then you had no inheritance. And so these girls, if you will, with a great deal of humility but also a great deal of faith and confidence. They approach Moses and the leadership of Israel, and they say in verse 4, Why should the name of our father be removed from among his family because he had no son? Give us a possession among our father's brothers. So Moses brought their case before the Lord. Now think about this. Moses is bringing their case before the Lord. These ladies are asking, they're making a request. What should I do, Lord? And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad speak what is right. You shall surely give them a possession of inheritance among their father's brothers and cause the inheritance of their father to pass to them. This is unbelievable. That a woman would be given property rights and inheritance rights. Now you have to understand something. All women's rights basically emerge from this passage. In other words, in a Middle Eastern culture where usually a wealth was given to a daughter by via a dowry, the woman couldn't inherit wealth or possessions until she was married. But look what it says. The Lord says, and you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a man dies and he has no son, then you shall cause his inheritance to pass to his daughter. What? If he has no daughter, then you'll give his inheritance to his brothers. If he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to the relative closest to him and his family, and he shall possess it. You know what this becomes? It becomes 
the forerunner of the kinsman redeemer. Remember, how are we going to get what's coming to us? Well, you're, you're to, a father passes on to his son. What if he doesn't have a son? It goes to the daughters. What if he has no daughters? It goes to the brothers. What if he has no brothers? Then it goes to the closest relative. You might be thinking, what in the world does this have to do with me? Well, it has a lot to do with you if you're a woman. If you're wondering, well, it seems to me that the Bible subjugates women, uh, dispossesses them, tries to figure out a way to give them a raw deal, but nothing could be further from the truth. Also, if you're not a Jew but a Gentile, if you're wondering, how am I going to get an inheritance? How am I going to get anything from God? Well, guess what? Jesus becomes your kinsman redeemer. He is your close relative. You need a human being who can save you from your sin. Was the law unjust? Apparently, Zelophehad was a true believer. He loved the Lord. He believed in the promised land. And so his daughters worked up enough courage to ask Moses for an inheritance. And now the time has come for them to make good on the promise that was given to them. And so in verse 4 it says, And they came near before Eleazar the priest, who was there before with Moses, before Joshua the son of Nun, and before the ruler, saying, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brothers. Therefore, according to the commandment of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among their father's brothers. Moses, remember, took their case before the Lord. The Lord led Moses to change the law. Zelophehad's daughters are allowed to receive their inheritance. In verse 5, before we get to verse 5, their strong faith and promise caused them, motivated them to remember what had been promised to them. Look at verse 5. Ten shares fell to Manasseh. Now, ten shares fell to Manasseh was divided into tracts of land east of the Jordan. Look what it says. Ten shares fell to, to Manasseh beside the land of Gilead and Bashan. Besides the land of Gilead and Bashan, which were on the other side of the Jordan. So what he's basically saying, there's an east side of the inheritance. There's a west side of the inheritance. Verse 6, because the daughters of Manasseh received an inheritance among his sons and the rest of Manasseh's sons had the land of Gilead. So the share of Manasseh was divided into tracts. Five tracts were given to five daughters from the clan of Hefer. Five tracts. Now, so we have every reason to believe that these women... <laughs> Married men, these are men within the tribe of Manasseh. In other words, the only thing that they couldn't do is they couldn't be unequally yoked with someone outside of the tribe. In other words, they had to maintain the integrity of the tribe by virtue of marriage. East Jordan or Gilead was given to the other descendants. 
who compromised who are the members of the compromising members of, of the family of Manasseh. So the daughters of Zelophehad were able to inherit the land. Think about it. Because of their loyalty to their father. Because of their desire to honor him. Because their belief in the promised land. And because they believed that they should have a part of the inheritance that was promised to them by God. And so, in the Bible, Paul tells us that the lawless or the greedy or the abusive won't inherit the kingdom of God. These daughters are going to have their inheritance by faith. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 20, we read, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break in or steal. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul writes, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle is dissolved, we have a building of God, a house made not with hands, eternal in heavens. Your inheritance isn't here. It isn't in the land that you possess or the house that you own or the stuff that you have. It will disappear. Your inheritance is in heaven. You have Christ. And so now we see the borders of Manasseh that are going to be outlined between verses 7 through 13. And again, you see East Manasseh. As you go north to Dan and then east to the Golan and then west Manasseh. And the territory of Manasseh was from Azure. And that's on the plain just south of Phoenicia to Mikmathat that lies east of Shechem. And the border that went along the inhabitants of in Tapua. Manasseh had the land of Tapua. But Tapua on the border of Manasseh belonged to the children of Ephraim which is south of Shechem. And the border descended to the brook Cana, southward to the brook. These cities of Ephraim are among the cities of Manasseh. The border of Manasseh was on the north side of the brook, and so it ended with the sea. And so again, you see the close relationship that these two tribes share with one another. Southward, it was Ephraim's. Northward, it was Manasseh's. And the sea was the border of Manasseh's territory. Now, this is interesting because Ephraim has no inheritance, if you will, along the coastal region. But Manasseh does. Southward, it was Ephraim's. Northward, it was Manasseh's. And the sea was the border. Manasseh's territory adjoining Azure on the north, Issachar on the east. And in Issachar and in Azure, Manasseh and Bet Shean and its towns. Now, Bet Shean is. As you go to the River Jordan, along the Jordan Valley, this was the route that connected the north to the south. It was a military stronghold. It was an important place agriculturally. And it was inhabited by the Canaanites. And you'll note it says in verse 11... And in Issachar and in Asher, Manasseh and Bet Shean and its towns, Iblim, its towns, the inhabitants of Dor and its towns, the inhabitants of Endor and its towns, the inhabitants of Tanakh and its towns, 
the inhabitants of Megiddo, which is in the Valley of Jezreel, three hilly regions. These three hilly regions are, for the most part, going to determine who's in control of the land for the next several centuries. In verse 12, it says, Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities. But the Canaanites were determined to dwell in the land. And it happened when the children of Israel grew strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. Again, you see this compromise. You see this failure. You see this act of disobedience. Because of the determination of the Canaanites to remain and the failure of the, man, Man, the people of Manasseh to drive out the enemy, it becomes a type and a picture of partial obedience instead of complete obedience. Now, remember what I've already said to you. The Canaanites are cruel. They're corrupt. The cup of iniquity is filled to the brim. Compromise is going to lead eventually to the northern tribe's eventual downfall. Apostasy is a huge danger. The expositor's Bible commentary reads, quote, This was the result of a serious failure on the part of Israelites. The commands of God allowed them to subject the people from the cities outside Palestine to forced labor, but not the population of the cities inside. Think about it. That means the peoples and the lands east of the river could be forced into subjugation. The people west of the river were told to be driven out. They were to be put to death without pity, without exception, according to Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 10 through 18. And again, as a result of this failure, the Israelites are going to be corrupted. They're going to intermarry with the pagans. They're going to begin to engage in their perverse practices. They're going to begin to practice idolatry. It's going to be a problem in the book of Judges chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 5. Again, what does this mean to you and me? I think for the most part, it means that if we are honest with ourselves. Most Christians won't heed the warning. Over and over again in the New Testament it says, don't be unequally yoked with the unbeliever. Come out from among them. Separation and holiness are what's for you, but separation and holiness are not a part of the modern age. Christians look for political power or social influence. They look, how can we affect our culture? How can we change the culture at large all the while we forget that we are to be salt and light the culture isn't to be salt and light they're not supposed to influence you you're supposed to influence them we eagerly enter into associations with the world or with evil or with lawlessness all the while thinking we are immune to its influences. But over and over and over again, the clear teaching in the scripture is, come out from among them. 
Be separate. Be holy. In Acts chapter 2 verse 40 it says, And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. In other words, save yourselves. Don't become a part of them. Don't be like them. Don't in rebellion and disobedience incorporate what, they, what they're saying. In 1 Corinthians 5.11, Paul writes, But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, sexually immoral, covetousness, greedy, idolater, involved in false worship, a railer, that means a person who is a person who yells and screams and, and who rants and raves, a drunkard or an extortioner. With such, do not eat, 1 Corinthians 5.11. There's this radical reminder that Paul gives in the New Testament that Christians like the Jews of old, are called to a radical separation. John writes in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, Do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world. If a man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, this isn't from the Father. This is from the world. And so... We see again the desire for a greater inheritance at the end of the chapter. Look what it says in verse 14. Then the children of Joseph spoke to Joshua saying, Why have you given us only one lot and one share to inherit? Since we are a great people inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now. So Joshua answered them, If you are a great people, then go up into the forest country and clear a place for yourself there in the land of the Perizzites and the giants, since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. But the children of Joseph said, The mountain country is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both those who are from Beth Shean and its towns and those who are in the valley of Jezreel. He's saying, It's occupied by enemy forces. They're too strong to overcome us. There's this gigantic wooded area in the heart of the land. And Joshua, it says in verse 17, spoke to the house of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, You are a great people. You have a great power. You shall not only have one lot. Now, again, Joshua is turning their argument against them. They're saying, and by the way, in the giving of the allotments of the land. This is the only time we read of people complaining and saying, we want more. We want more than you are giving to us. We need more land. And it says, we need more land because of the abundance of people. Now, we know from the, the, um, The populations, the, the, the um, what is it called when you do a population study? Census. census. We know from the census in the, in, in, the, in the books of Moses that the tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim were only a little bit less than Judah. So they, they, they basically say, we need more land because of the abundance of our people. Joshua basically says, you're right. 
you have an abundance of people. And because you have so many people in verse 15, you should put those people to work and start clearing out the forest. You are a strong people. You're complaining that the Canaanites have chariots of iron. And when chariots of iron think, when you read chariots of iron in the, in the Bible, think tanks, think heavy artillery. This is their way of saying, we are outmatched and outgunned. We don't have a clear military advantage. But he assures them, you say that the Canaanites have superior power. I'm telling you that you were right. You are an abundant people. You are a blessed people. You are a powerful people. And so when you come to me and you say, I need more. And I say, you have everything that you need in Jesus. Jesus has given you all that you need that pertains to life and godliness and the knowledge of our Savior. Jesus has given you life and love and grace and mercy. When Joshua says, you shall not only have one lot, it doesn't mean I'm going to give you more land. This is Joshua's way of saying, I want you to occupy what has been given to you by faith. In verse 18, it says, but the mountain country shall be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down and its farthest extent shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong. He's basically saying, all the things you're complaining about and all the things that you think that you need. You can win this war. You don't understand how bad the addiction is. No, no I do. You, you don't understand what I had to grow up with. You don't know about the fear and the problem and the pain that I had to face growing up. No, I, I, I do. You don't know about the setbacks and difficulty. You don't know about the pain. No, no, I do. You don't know all of the reasons why it's so difficult for me to know Jesus and love Jesus and follow Jesus. No, I do. Joshua handles this complaint with absolute integrity and leadership. And by the way, which tribe was Joshua a member of? Ephraim. Numbers, chapter 13, verse 8. This is his tribe. These are his people. If ever he would have said, hey, you're right. I'm the leader of everything and I'm going to give you more. Joshua says, I'm going to give you exactly what God wants you to have. And then I'm going to encourage you that your inheritance is sufficient. You are a great people, numerous. You have been blessed by the Lord. God has blessed you abundantly. But I'm not going to give you any more. He challenges the tribes to get up and go to work. They seem to think that their enemy is so strong and well-equipped that they can't be conquered. And Joshua says, it's not true. But it's going to take all of your resources. And it's going to take all of your courage. And it's going to take 
commitment. This is not the time to be lazy. This is not the time to be passive. This is not the time to find excuses. We have to endure. We have to persevere. F.B. Meyer gives this quote, and I want to close with this. He says, quote, All around us there is uncleared forest. If we're wanting opportunities for Christian usefulness, they're all around us. By faith and courage, let us put the fences of occupation further back and take in the new portions of territory as yet upheld. What a precious promise for the Christian worker is verse 18. Look what it says. But the mountain country shall be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down. Here's what he's saying. It's a wilderness. It's like being in the middle of nowhere. Hey, you know what? It's somewhere. It's someplace that can be cultivated. And someplace that can be developed. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down. And the farthest extent shall be yours. In other words, you have adequate territory. You have everything that you need. You are the object of Jesus' love. You are born again. You are his child. You are the heir of Jesus. You are forgiven. You are justified. You are redeemed. You are right with God. You are, can come near to him. You are not alone. You are the friend of the Lord. You're saved from wrath. You're reconciled to God. You have peace with God. You're no longer bound by sin. You're no longer under the principle of the law. You have been freed from the body of death and you've been made alive by the Holy Spirit. You have what you need. But there's so much more if you'll only take it. It's way more interesting than you thought, huh? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for Joshua. Thank you for his courage to say, no, don't give up. No, keep fighting. No, persevere. No, don't be threatened, intimidated, or overwhelmed by the enemy. Lord, we want so much. We want so much to praise you. Lord, we know that one day you will raise us up to heaven. Lord, we know that we're just branches and that you're the vine, that, Lord, you've predestined us, you've called us, you've justified us, you've glorified us. Lord, like the daughters of Zelophehad, we have every right to say, please, please, give us, give us what belongs to us. And I'm, we're more than conquerors through Jesus who loves us. And we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.